All right, let's pray. Father, we, God, we just honor you. We glorify you this morning. Jesus, you are the worthy one and the holy one, Lord, and we just want to honor you and glorify you. Lord, we are so grateful that we can come and be with you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We honor you. We glorify you. Move however you see fit. This morning, we just ask that that your name be glorified here. That, Lord, the words that I speak this morning will be to glorify your name, to glorify who you are, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. And we declare your kingship here this morning. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just let me take my things off so that I don't overheat. I was talking with a friend during the week, and um, I'm just going to start with this because I don't know. I'm going to. That's how we're going to go. And he asked me, he was talking about our lives, and he's a church leader. And he, he sort of said to me, What's your plan? What, what do you want to be doing in. 30 years. And I was like, jeepers, 30 years. And he said to me, do you want to be leading a church and, and preaching and, and running a church in 30 years? And I said to him, you know, I, I honestly don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do five years ago looking ahead five years. And five years ago, Ben couldn't have determined that five years in the future, Ben would be standing here and leading a church Ten years ago, Ben certainly couldn't have determined whether ten years forward Ben was going to be here. And it got me thinking to a point where, you know, I really don't have a plan B. I really don't have a, a backup plan. I haven't, I haven't built something in so that if one day I wake up and decide, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, I can just go do something else. And yeah, I, I have a degree in criminology and criminal justice and I could, I could go and do something else. But I got to the point where I, I said to him, hey, you know, I don't want a plan B. Because if I have a plan B, then I bring myself to the place where I go, well, if it gets too hard, I'll just get out. If it gets too difficult, I'll just throw it away and I'll just go and do the plan B. But I got to the point where I realized, you know, in 30 years, I do have an answer. I want to be listening to the voice of God like I've never listened before. I want to be able to hear his voice more and more and more. I want to be able to stand before him and say, God, I know you. With all that I am, I know you. And as I was pondering back, I thought to her, um, we used to go on these, I'm pretty sure Timmy was Planet Shakers, the song that used to sing, um, you died for me, so I'm living for you. And it was like a pump up song and everyone jumped around and we used to sing, yeah, woo. And I, I was thinking about it and I was like, that's a very heavy song to sing, is to say to God, because of your sacrifice, I'll give you all of me. And I remember we were in this, it used to be this massive auditorium filled with youth kids, filled with young adults, declaring this thing. And I look back and I'm like, man, I remember being challenged by that song then. And I look at it now and I go, wow, that was right though. That's what I want to be doing. That's who I want to be in 30 years. I want to be able to hear his voice. I don't want to just be going, well, I'm doing my best. I want to be able to say, "I've, I've earnestly heard you, God. I've earnestly listened to your voice. I was listening to a sermon during the week, or just a wasn't really a sermon. He was just speaking of Lou Ingle, 
And there was a moment for about five minutes where I couldn't even hear what Lou was saying. I could just feel his intensity for the Lord, like this intense man and his heart, pardon me, his heart just beating for the church, just beating for God. And he's a man who's given the Lord everything. He's given him a hundred years. He said, Lord, here's my hundred that I have for you. I'm giving it to you. To the point that he could, he was like, he sounded like an old whispery horse because his mouth was so dry because he was on a no water and no food fast for three days for the United States. Where he didn't drink an ounce of water. He was on the end of it. And I just was like, you could barely hear him because his voice was so dry. Speaking of which. And I just was in awe of this man, not because he had an elegant sermon, not because he had these amazing points, but because his heartbeat was for Jesus. His heartbeat was for the church, regardless of what it looked like, regardless of how fancy it was, regardless of how crazy people think he is, because he rocks when he speaks, and he does. He looks, it, it looks insane, but you just hear this man's heart, and it just pours out. And I was challenged to my core to say, Jesus, in 30 years, I want to be like that man. I want to have my heart so set on you, my knees so weathered from praying, my heart so poured out that I know you more. If I know you as much as I know you today, in 30 years, I will be grieved because I want to know you more every day. I want to see more of you. I want to know more of you. To James. To James. If you've got a Bible, open with me to James 1. I'm going to go back before Dave's sermon and then I'm going to go forward. I love the way Dave last week explained James as a, a father giving the children a bit of a tune-up. Because it is, it's, it's, it, it, it's James writing to the church, like explained, writing to the church that had been dispersed in Jerusalem, had been pulled apart, had been chased after by poor, were being killed in their homes, were being dragged out. It's James writing to a people in the midst of pain and suffering to say, we can do this, but we have to put our lives on him. He's saying the pain and hurt that you're in, the, the, the hurt that's happening is because we're not living where God's asking us to live from. We can bring ourselves into his covering, into his indwelling. We can, we can remain in the shadow of the Almighty. And he gives us some, some ways in which we can do that. But I want to read from James 1, 17 to 18, which I didn't get to finish um, a couple of weeks ago when I first started this. But it says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. By his own will, by his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that word is the word logos, it's speaking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. By the Messiah, he brings us back in to be a first fruits of him. James cleverly is throwing back to Genesis and he's saying, you have been made as a bearer of my image. 
You have been made as a bearer of my image to look like Jesus, to walk sound and smell like Jesus, to operate in darkness as James describes it, as the father of lights, to be a first fruit of who he is, to expel him in a place where there is no God to operate like he has asked us to operate. It was by his will. It explains that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that when we operate in this place, he's saying, it was what I called you to back then. It was what I positioned you in. James, as a, as a poet, writes this so beautifully. And all through James, he throws back to other scriptures. And James is a book of jumps and starts. And he, he goes back to his own writing and he writes forward. But what he's saying in this is that God has made us to look like him, to bear and carry his image, to operate in who he is and to bring about who he is by his will. That's why he brought us back in. So the salvation, the understanding of coming back into the Father is twofold. To be returned to relationship with the Father, back into the garden, but also to carry out the mandate that was given in the beginning. To go forth, subdue the earth, and expand the garden. That's where we sit now. To subdue the earth, to take the authority that we've been given in it, but to also subdue that and take that out, expand that out into the place where there is no kingdom, where there is no light. Of his own will, God wanted to bring us out. So we have to remember, this is, this is a, an encouraging thing because it's saying that the good gifts that God has given us, the life that I have been given is from God. Why? So that I can operate as his first fruits in the kingdom. So when we sit and ask and say, God, I desire this in my heart, which James talks about, which I'll get to, I desire this in my heart, it's because I'm desiring it, Lord, to fulfill what the mandate you've given me. So everything that I operate and everything that gets given me in this hundred years gets to be to expand the kingdom, to put more out. I want to know you more, to have relationship and know you. But then, Lord, because I know you, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to operate in, in, in who you are. I'm going to embarrass Jess a little bit. This morning, Jess made me bacon and eggs. A bagel was delicious. But she didn't have to do that. It wasn't because it was my birthday that she had to do that. She wanted to do that because it's my birthday. She wanted to give me something. It wasn't that she had to. I wasn't waking up and saying, well, it's my birthday. Here's my list of things you must do for me. Right? So she, so she doesn't have to do it. But inside, she was up before I was up. My alarm on Sundays goes off at 6.30. So she was up before me, which is rare on a Sunday morning, downstairs to cook me breakfast. Not because she has to, but because she wants to do that. So the more we get to know God, the more we understand who he is, the deeper into his heart we get, the more we want to do stuff. So when James talks about the fact that it's not works or faith, it's both in a combination that allow us to operate in who he is. It's because we know the Father's heart that we get to do those things. God, I get to pray for that guy. I get to come and spend two hours on my knees worshiping you. I get to be with you in that place. I didn't feel ripped off this morning because I had to play drums and then preach 
on my birthday, I actually feel like I get to do this. I get encouraged to preach the word because God, I get to do that with you. What took place was that I was, I was in an awful place and you brought me into a beautiful place and now I get to know you more. When we get to that place of prayer, when we spend, we, we had an awesome time of prayer on Thursday. I don't know if some of you guys will remember, but Jack was here from Sunshine Coast and to watch his life change from when he first walked through those doors to where he is now was mind-boggling. Because he was sat here on his knees, worshipping and saying, God, he didn't have to come. I didn't even know he was coming. He drove to the Gold Coast just to come and worship in a park because he felt like God had asked him to. And then he popped through the door and he said, oh, I'm here. I said, well, we have a prayer meeting. He goes, we'll stay. So they stayed and just, just prayed with us. To watch his heart go, I don't have to do this to be a good Christian. I want to be with my father that I've only just met. And he talks as if he's running out of time. He talks as if the clock's ticking and he's younger than I am. But he's like, I just want to know God more. I want to know God more so that I can be with him more. That's the heart that James is saying. You get to be a part of his first fruits. The things that have been given allow us to be who he's made us to be. We get to be image bearers. We don't have to be image bearers. So we know who we are. When we get saved, we come in, we become a first fruit. Now fast forward, I think it'll be one page to James 2, verse 1. The title on some of, your, some of our Bibles irk me. They upset me. Some, some of them I've crossed out on my Bible. Because when you read the scriptures as they would have been written, this is a letter, so it wouldn't have had, James wasn't subtitling it. The reason we do that is so that we can quickly find what area it is we're looking for in the scriptures. But don't let the title tell you the theology before you read it. Don't let it throw something at you and then you go, okay, well, that's what it means. Just sometimes we have to remove that and just read what it says. Because sometimes it flows in and the title makes it look like a new letter, but it's not. I don't like the top of this title, but that's why I brought that up. So I just not, just go down from that. James 2, 1 verse 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and became judges with evil thoughts? Partiality means unfair bias in favor of one person or thing. So he's saying you show, show no partiality, show no unfair bias in favor of one person or thing. And the thing that's interesting in this verse is that James uses a very simple analogy, but you can't limit that to just his simple analogy. You have to expand what James is actually saying. So if, if I'm telling, telling Matt a story, I'm trying to get him to understand something, I will use an analogy, which I'm going to use in a minute, but I will use an analogy to help him explain. That doesn't mean that point only pertains to that analogy. It's a principle that gets used across the board in our lives. Does that make sense? 
So when James is writing, you can't just take this and say, well, James is only talking about not showing partiality between the rich and the poor. No, he's saying we don't show partiality between one and another because we all operate the same. We all come in to the same family. Does that make sense? The word that James uses there for for poor and faith, both are interchangeable. They can be used figuratively and they can be used literally. (laughs) Bing, I got it. They can be used used, uh, literally and they can be used figuratively. So what James is saying here is that there is a picture. Why am I doing this? Because this is an issue that is rife in the community of God that needs to be broken. This is something that right now in the age that we are operating in, in the time that we're in, I have heard time and time and time and time again exactly what James is saying. Do not operate like this. Because what we tend to do in today's era, in the season that we're in today, is say, why would I want to go and gather with people in a room that I have nothing in common with? Why would I want to go and be with a people of which aren't my kind of people? Why would I want to go and hang out with Matt? He likes Star Wars. I don't really care much for Star Wars. He's a paramedic. I don't really care much for paramedics. Why would I want to spend my time next to him? That's the place that we have got. And, I, and I'm not just saying this as an, an out there comment. I have had conversations with people in this house and in others who were saying, why would I, I, I don't want to do that. These are not my kind of people. But what James is saying right here is that in that moment, you are showing partiality. You become the judge. You become the judge. When Adam and Eve took fruit off the tree, what was the tree they took off? The knowledge of good and evil, which made them what? A judge. They decided we will be the judges. We will say what is good and what is evil. And God said, that's not, you don't want that. God wasn't saying to them, I don't want to give you a power you don't have. God was saying, it's too hard. To be the judge is too hard. Sons, daughters, I don't want you to have it. Just do what I tell you is good because it'll be good. You don't want to have to make the distinction. But we couldn't help ourselves. We wanted to find out what was there. So we took it. We became judges. Now everything in our life that we have to try and do is to navigate this thing between good and evil and we want to be the judges. So someone comes through the door and within two minutes we've judged their backstory. We don't mean to do it, but we do it. But that's not the problem. The problem is then how I treat that person how I treat that person. Because we don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know what's taken place. I was on Facebook during the week on my computer, keeping an eye on some different things uh, among the election. And you know, I, I, I stumbled across a painful reality is that there were people, good people that I knew, losing relationships with other people over Facebook comments without any understanding of their past. In that moment, they became a judge that that person is not who I want them to be, so they're gone. In that moment, they did what James asked them not to do. Don't show partiality because their preference differ to yours. 
Don't think that you're better than they are or worse than they are because of some particular list of things. Know who you are in me, center yourself in me and let them do the same. Lead them to a position where you say, man, this is who Jesus is. Let the other stuff worry about itself. Just know this. Instead, we had war after war after war. And then we went on Friday, Josh and I went to hit a round of nine golf balls around the golf course on Friday afternoon. And I was saying to the lady at the counter, we, we chit-chat with her every Friday, and I said, I said, how's things going? She said, yeah, good. I said, are you um, managing to stay away from the storm on, on Facebook? She said, oh, it's a nightmare. I've, got, I've lost friends. I've, and she hadn't been posting. She said, I'm just, I, I, I don't really care. She said, I honestly don't care. I've not, I don't know anything about it. But my friends are in war and then I, I'm trying to, I just went, what are we doing? What, 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 where are we positioning ourselves where we're saying, Jeremy, you're better than me or worse than me because of something that you think? When James is saying, don't show any partiality. So what happens is in churches is we have guys come in and one of two things happen. Either the people inside judge those who are coming in or those who are coming in judge those who are inside. So they'll say, oh, there was too much clickiness. No one loved me in there. No. You became a judge the moment you walked through the door. Well, no one loves me. No, you've become a judge and you've judged that pe- those people to say that they don't care for me, but you haven't taken the time to actually find out what is happening. And James says, don't show that partiality. Hold in James and flip to John 17. Sorry, it'll be a backwards flip to John 17. Verse 23. John chapter 17, verse 20. There's so much here. I want to take a snippet just to explain my point, but this could be unpacked for days. But John 17, 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. This is the prayer that Jesus makes before he goes to the cross. He asks the Father, please, Father, bring them in and allow them to be one in us, in me, like I am in you. If that doesn't wreck you when you read that, man, I have, I have weeped over this verse. Because this is Jesus, the heart of Jesus crying out to the Father for us. He's crying out for the people to be brought into him. That is a phenomenal verse. But the interesting thing that I want to highlight here is he says that, that they, they may be one as we are one. They may be one. Who's they? You and I. That we may be one. That when we come into Jesus, when we get saved, when we come into salvation, we become one people. Right? One. So now, 
all of a sudden, I don't get to disown Matt because he doesn't like the things that I like. I don't get to disown Jeremy because he doesn't think the way that I think. Because in that, we become one in Christ. That salvation in Jesus brings us to being brothers and sisters in God. So what happens when I make a statement like they're not my kind of people or I just don't get along? Either you're saying that you've not been brought in or they haven't been brought in. And there's not a lot of people that will take the former. They're going to push for the latter. But the reality is, is that I may not have ever gotten to know Matt except for one beautiful thing. The death, resurrection and ascension of Christ that brings us together. I would have never ever crossed paths with Debbie and had a relationship like I had with Debbie if it wasn't for that one beautiful thing. The death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. You see, it's the, it's the body of Christ that glues us together and empowers us to become one. And when we come together, it's the body coming together in strength and unity, not in, well, I don't know these people. It doesn't matter because in him we are known. In him we have a connection. In him we show affection and love. That's why Matt becomes my brother. He doesn't just become a guy I go to church with. And my brother doesn't just stop being a conversation where we say, bless you, brother. And that's all it means. No, brother means we are joined together. Brother means unity. Brother means I will fight for you when no one else will. My older brothers and I wrestle all the time. <laughs> we have a funny brothers chat that goes backwards and forwards. It's hilarious. But I know that if I'm hurting, regardless of what's happening, they will all come and help. If someone's bullying me or picking on me, all of a sudden they've been bullying and picking on me, but that's not okay now because someone else is hurting Ben, right? Because we're brothers. So they can torment me all, all they like. But when someone else does it, there's this unity. There's this camaraderie that brings them together. That's what happens in Christ. That's what a community is. That's what the believers, the body of Christ is and should be. That what ties me to Sven is my relationship with Christ. His relationship with Christ. Our lives look entirely different. I would have never crossed paths with Sven. I would have never got to hear his incredible stories. I would have never got to be challenged and grown by him if it wasn't for that beautiful thing, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. He brings us together. He ties us together. And I say, brother, James is talking about the partiality between people to say, you're not my kind of guy. You're not my kind of, of this. You don't suit my things. I want to take this a little bit further, and I'm going to go to Ephesians. So if you, if you can still pin, I will come back to James, I promise. But if you can go to Ephesians 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, so much in this, and I just want to take a smidge out of it. I therefore, Paul writing, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the Spirit, unity in the flesh. Unity in the flesh is that Tim and I go for the same basketball team. We both like the Orlando Magic. That's our team. We've never, we haven't won in a very long time, but that's our team. Let's not talk about that. So, so we have unity. Tim and I have unity in that that Sean and I don't have because Sean doesn't go for the Orlando Magic. Hey, 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 hey. So unity in the flesh is that Tim and I like the same thing, but Sean and I don't. But unity in the spirit has nothing to do with that. So now, Tim, myself, and Sean can all be the best of mates inside unity of the Spirit. Because the Spirit's goal and aim is what? To advance the kingdom of God, to usher in His will. That's the goal of the Spirit. That's why God is moving through us, is to usher in the kingdom to see about His will. Now, Sean, Tim, and I can all become teammates in that goal. Because it doesn't matter what we like. That becomes irrelevant. So now that allows us to bring Debbie and Mary into that team. It allows us to bring others that we wouldn't normally sit around and chat with about basketball. Because our goal is to do what the Spirit wants us to do. So now we become unified with the same goal. Let me take it a little step further. There's two churches in the same street. They're my brothers. We are on the same team. We are fighting for the same goal. Now, they might swing the hammer a little bit differently than I do, but we're on the same team. Why? Because there's unity in the spirit. We're both aiming toward the same goal. But then there's a, there's a, a, a kicker at the end of it, and it says, in the bond of peace. In the thing that ties us together of peace. So now unity in the spirit has to have peace. So what that means is I don't lose relationships with brothers and sisters on Facebook because we see things differently. Because at the end of the day, we're not looking for unity in the flesh. We're looking for unity in the spirit. And we all get on the same page to say, Matt's my brother, regardless of which way he thinks. So what I have to do now in my conversation with Matt is work out how can I converse with him to ensure the bond of peace. How can I keep unity in the spirit by ensuring the bond of peace? Hey, bro, maybe we don't talk about certain things because we see them too differently. Hey, Sean, he's gone upstairs. Sean, maybe we don't, you don't talk about basketball with Timmy and I. We get a bit, a bit too excited and I can't control myself. Right? Maybe, maybe we just leave that at the door. Right? Because my, my relationship with these guys is bigger and my job and what we're trying to achieve in the spirit is bigger than our disagreements in the flesh. Does that make sense? Is everyone understanding what James is saying? That we are to not show partiality between one another because the goal of the spirit is much bigger than that of the flesh. The goal of the spirit is much bigger than that of the flesh. Now, we can disagree. That's okay. We can wrestle. We can look through verses. I 
some guys in, um, from another church in my office during the week, and we were discussing um, theology, and we were discussing a certain topic, and we didn't agree. But they left here, and we hugged, and we had coffee, and we had a laugh and a joke, and I'm sure we will get to have more conversations. But the key was the bond of peace, because the key is, is that in the spirit, we're both fighting for the same goal. So on a, on a football team, you don't get the goalkeeper and, oh, I was going to go European football, soccer, uh, you don't get the goalkeeper and the striker or the forward arguing about how to do, play the game, right? He's saying, well, you should wear gloves and stand in the one spot. The other guy's going, no, you need to run forward, get up for the ball, kick it in. They're different jobs. So when they get off the sheds, he might say, you did your job poorly or you did your job poorly. But at the end of the day, the goal was the same. That's how we are to act with one another. That's how we are to operate in the church is unity in the spirit, not in the flesh. It doesn't matter if that person does things different to you. It doesn't matter. Yes, you might not be, be tight mates like, like me and Dan might get around because no one might enjoy getting around the barbecue like we do or smoking meat. So we'll come closer together in that. That doesn't mean that other things can't happen over there. But what the reality is, is that at the end of the day, when we come together here, and when we come together out there, we come together in the unity of the Spirit to say what you're going for, I'm going for. I don't think we should do it like that, but I want to encourage you to keep going after what you're going after. Maintain the bond of peace. There was a, 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 a speaker a little while ago who, um, he, was in, he was in Jerusalem and he was trained by, by rabbis, but he had a rabbi tour guide taking him through, um, through the streets. And he was getting excited and this rabbi tour guide was, was explaining things to him and he was getting excited and he said something, but the rabbi thought that he was disagreeing with him. So this rabbi said to him, it's, it's okay. It's better that you be right. And this preacher said to him, sorry. And he said, it's actually better that you be right than for us to argue. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to say I know what's happening here. I'm agreeing with you. But he said, but what, what did you just do? And he said, well, I didn't want us to get into an argument about a piece of um, architecture, a piece of um, a building site that would wreck the rest of our trip together because we can't agree on this one thing. Rather, just let you have the win there. And he came away from it wrecked because he realized so many times we argue about a book that tells us to keep peace. It doesn't make any sense. We argue about a, a person who was the, 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 bond, the bond holder of peace, the father of love, and yet we come out of love and out of peace with people over that book. That doesn't make any sense to me. But what it will mean is I might have to swallow some of my pride. I might have to ask God to remove the pride in my heart and say, hey, bro, I love you enough to go, it's okay. We can still have meals together. We can still eat together. I can still hold that when you ask me something, I can tell you what I think. But we can still hold relationship. Why? Because one day, one of us is going to be right and the Holy Spirit's going to reveal that right to us and we're going to need that brother to help us through. We're going to need that brother to say, hey, you know, five years ago when we, when we wrestled about whether or not we should be dunked or sprinkled, yeah, hey, God just showed me in the most incredible way, can you help me with this now? Now, if you don't have relationship, you can't do that. 
So you have to hold the bond of peace. Why? Because relationship will lead people into repentance. Relationship will lead people as the way you hold it with them and keep revealing the love of God. I'm not going to bend my knee to this, but I'm going to stand with you. James 2, back to James if you haven't already gone back to James. James uh, 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved, he continues on. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich. Ah, sorry, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. When we treat somebody poorly because of the way that we've judged them, we miss everything that that person could be carrying. When we dismiss that person, we miss everything that that person could be carrying. An easy uh, a story, a friend of mine who, who got saved by a homeless man on the street, he was on his way to, he felt like he was going to commit suicide. He felt like he was done. He was finished. And he was on his way to do that. And in his heart, he wanted to do one last good thing before he did it. So he went out, set out that day, and he bought a sandwich and a bottle of water for a homeless man on the street. He gave it to him, and the homeless man grabbed his hand, and he said, I know your prayer that you prayed before you left the door this morning, and recited word for word his prayer. And this guy was just broken, because he said to Jesus before he left the door, if you're real and you love me, then show me. And he went to find a homeless man. He found a ramless homeless man, no rhyme or reason. The first guy he saw, he bought him a sandwich, and he said, I know who you are. This is your prayer. Changed his life. He went home a mess and he went searching for Jesus. Another time we were, we were at a prayer meeting and uh, Brad was leading the prayer meeting. Um, this man came through the door, a short, uh, chubby, Aboriginal man with a Hawaiian shirt on and no one knew who he was. No one, no one knew anything about this man. He came in he sat down quietly. We were just starting, so no one could ask any questions. He sits down. Brad starts preaching, and this man starts laughing and going, yeah, that's true. That's true. And Brad kind of looks at me, then looks at him. I'm like, I don't know, because I had kind of put, invited a heap of guys and was putting this sort of time together. I was like, hey, I, I don't know. So he goes on. He laughs. Every time Brad said something, he would laugh like a chuckle. Like, that's true. And then it kind of got Brad a bit amped now, like he was kind of getting pumped, you know. So he, he just kept preaching. This guy just kept laughing and kept interjecting and saying it was true. Then Brad says, hey, can we all stand? We're going to take some time and, and just prophesy and pray over one another. He comes to Brad quietly and, and says to him, would you mind if I prophesy over the people? He says, yeah, why, why would you ask me? He says, because I want to honor you in this house. He says, yeah, sure. This guy starts praying and prophesying for people and just slamming people all over the place. Like Brad just stood, I remember watching Brad just step back like, I'm not leading this any, anymore. This guy is just just spewing the Holy Spirit, just moving. Right? People get wrecked. The, a meeting was amazing. 
I get this guy's number because I want to get to know him a bit. I get the guy's number. He leaves. No one ever sees him again. We can't, his phone never works. He never, ever comes back. We never see him again. That was it. He came in. He just dropped the Holy Spirit. He prayed over people. Things were, and he never, ever came back. And I remember thinking in that meeting, that could have been an angel. That could have been anybody. The, the, the Spirit of God was so thick in the room. The Spirit of God was so tangible, like we hadn't seen for so long. That could have been anybody. But Brad could have judged that guy right off the bat. He could have shushed him because, hey, this is my house. Instead, he let his voice speak. Instead, he let this guy just start to peel out. And, and, and because, because Brad had the, the, the unction to be able to not judge this guy off the start. But then it got me thinking, how many times has that happened and the church has removed that person, has silenced that voice? How many times have we judged somebody off the walk-in because they don't quite look how we look or they don't quite sound how we sound and all of a sudden we make a judgment call and we miss what God had for that morning. We miss what God had in that moment. Or someone tries to stop us in the street and we make a judgment call off the bat and we miss the teaching moment we could have had. We miss a beautiful moment with God. And it happens all the time. Happens to me all the time. But there's a reality that we have to start to understand that if we can show no partiality, if we can show no favoritism over one and say, God, what are you doing here? And sometimes there, there, might, be, there might be somebody who needs your help. And you might get yourself to a place where you go, hey, this actually, they, they need me here. I, I'm here because I'm to pray for them. I'm here because I'm to, to minister to this person. But what happens is we get ourselves in a place. But James says here to love one another as you love yourself. Sorry, my computer turned off and now won't let me use my fingerprint. Here we go. To love your neighbor as you love yourself, as yourself. If you do this, you are doing well. If you can do this, you are doing well, James says. That the, the precursor to doing well in him is to, is to expel love as you would love yourself. Now we all know, as much as we try our hardest to be selfless, you love yourself quietly like you don't love anybody else. It's just the way it is. We treat ourselves, right? That's the, that's the Instagram post, treat yourself. And that's okay. And yes, we need to rest. We need to look after ourselves. But if you can love somebody the way you love yourself, imagine how incredible that person is going to feel. And that's, the, that's certainly the beginning, should be the whole way through of what a marriage looks like, is that I want Jess to succeed more than myself. And then it, uh, as, I, as I can imagine, as I'm not there yet, but that's then what happens for your children because I want my children to exceed more than I have. I want to love them more than I love myself. But James is saying if we can operate that like that with everybody and love those around us more than we love ourselves, we will be doing well in him. We will be doing well. In him, Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So now, what James is drawing on is a picture that Jesus drew to say, to look like me. Disciple means student of the teacher. 
he being the teacher, we're image bearers, we're first fruits of him. But in order to be that, we have to do what? Love. We have to expel his love. The love that he's talking about is a love that is unmatched or unmarred by the way somebody looks or the way somebody speaks or the way somebody smells or the way somebody thinks about politics. The way that I love my brother or my sister is that you are one with me in him. You are a part of me now. So do you know how I love somebody, how I love myself? I recognize that Dan is a part of me in him. So it's easy to love Dan like I love myself. Why? Because he's a part of me in Christ. So that doesn't take away from the way that Dan looks or the way that Dan is allowed to operate or the way he feels. But what it does do is it says that we're on the same page and I have to look past the things that annoy me into your heart and love you from there. That's what the church is to do. That's who we are to be as a people, is to operate in the fullness of love in Jesus, understanding that he, we have become one together. If I can just end with this and get you guys to take one thing away, is that this is extraordinarily difficult, but at the same time, extraordinarily important. Because we are coming into a time, we are coming into a time of, I don't know what the word is now, I've lost the word, like a washing machine, turmoil, no, what did you say? Turbulence, that's what I wanted, turbulence, turmoil is a bit harsh, isn't it? Turbulence, we are coming into a time, I know that we're in Australia, and I'm not going to preach about politics, I know that we're in Australia, and I know that America is a long way away, but America holds a very key um, uh, litmus test for us. It changes things in this nation and in the world. Whether America is the biggest nation in the world or not, it is the center of the world in most cases. And it doesn't matter what happens in this election. We need to love each other above all else. Above all else, the church needs to bind together brother and brother, sister and sister, to say regardless of the way you think, regardless of the way you see, can we, can we be together on this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and King? Yes, yes, then that'll do. Let's hold together in the bond of peace in that. Let's pray this simple prayer together. His will will come. Sorry, his kingdom will come. His will will be done. I don't care what side of the coin you sit. What I care about is his kingdom coming and his will being done. So if we come together and, and we can't see eye to eye on blue or red, we can't see eye to eye in this country on, I'm running out of words, on whatever our two different ones are, then we have to be able to say we can come together in Christ. We can partner together and pray for our nation that his name reigns. All of us sitting in this seat would agree, unless you're unsaved and you're still trying to work it out, then you Feel, don't feel obliged to put your hand in this. But all of us here would agree that Jesus is king, right? Lord. He rules and reigns. Is that not enough for us to say, brother, sister, 
We are together in the unity of peace. So let's fight together. Let's operate together. Let's love one another. Whether you're 20, 30, 60 years older, 60, 70 years younger than me, whether you're a boy or girl, whether you like golf or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we come together in the, in the unity of the Spirit to achieve the goal of the Spirit with the bond of peace. Does that make sense? Can we take that from James? Fantastic. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Jesus, we just come right now before you. God, with all that's taking place in the world right now, with all that's taking place in Australia, Father, in the United States, in other countries that are, are seeing horrific things taking place, Lord, we just come with this simple prayer. Let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done. Let us get out of the way so that your will will come. Lord, let us lay down our own wills, our own desires, our own hopes so that yours will come, Jesus. Lord, we declare your kingship here. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. Lord, we declare your kingship in the United States, Lord. God, I pray in this time that your believers, that those who have agreed that you are their Lord and Savior, could stand together in the bond of peace, unity in your spirit to achieve the goal that you're going to achieve. Lord, help us in this time to lay ourselves down and to pick you up. We love you. We honour you. And in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.